Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spear Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Tips for Team Building podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Smith, and so, so, so excited to welcome Angela Nguyen to the show. Angela, can't wait to share your wisdom uh, with our audience. For those who don't know you, who are you? Well, thank you for having me today. Thank you for that introduction. Oh, who am I? So first and foremost, I guess I would tell you that I am the system vice president of talent management and employee relations with Hospital Sisters Health System in Springfield, Illinois. And um, I'm not originally from Springfield. I am from a small town in Southern Illinois, and we, we kind of ended up in Springfield about 17 years ago. But outside of work and being a leader, I am a wife and a mom, and I am a sister and a friend. And I also am very involved in my church. I'm a church member. I'm a member of our choir. I am a cheerleader at my kids' activities and events. That's probably what I spend the most time doing. I have three children, uh, one who turned 16 this year. So that's been an experience. She just got her license and is driving on the road now. And then my middle, who next week turns 15 and gets her permit. So we get to start that all over again. <laughs> and, um, and then my son, my, our youngest, who's 11, and um, my husband, Tree, we've been married 19 years. So um, I think I shared I was a wife. Um, I also love to travel, go to the beach specifically. Some other fun things about me is I am an avid Golden Girls lover. I like to watch Golden Girls every night pretty much before I go to bed. And uh, I love some Hallmark Christmas movies and um, love to shop, which my husband said is not a hobby. Um, <laughs> but I, I do like that. So that's probably me in a nutshell. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. It sounds like you're just wearing uh, so many hats and have a, a lot of roles <laughs> yeah. that, that, that you fill. You talked about, uh, you talked about travel and loving to travel. Where is, where is like your most memorable uh, vacation destination? Oh, I would say when we've gone to the big Island of Hawaii, I've been there three times now and I just, I absolutely love it there. I think Hawaii is one of the most beautiful places ever. And, uh, so I just really love, love that. Love awesome. going to Hawaii. love the beaches there. So that sounds incredible. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's definitely on my travel list. I haven't been able to make oh, it out there yet, but it is like, there. it is one of the top, uh, top destinations on the list for sure. Yeah. Well, you got to make it happen. You got to make it happen. <laughs> so Angela, we, we talked about kind of who, who you were, and you, you shared your role um, as the system vice president at Hospital uh, Sisters Health System. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the leadership position you're in today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I will tell you a funny story about um, just kind of leadership in general. When I was a kid, 
And me and my siblings were younger. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and she had uh, an in-home daycare. And so I got to be responsible and help with those kids. And, um, you know, so I think that that kind of bled into when I went into school, then I was more responsible for those kids at school. And I would, I would probably use the word bossy maybe, (laughs) um, at that age. So I remember in second grade and my mom still teases me about this, but my second grade teacher told my mom at a, a parent teacher conference that, you know, Angela demonstrates really great, strong leadership skills. And I think if she, directs that in the right way in life. She's going to be a really great leader. And I'm afraid though, if she doesn't, she's not going to have any friends. So, um, my mom likes to tease me about that. Good news is I do have some friends. So I think I might have channeled that well. Um, but I would say my journey to leadership um, has really been more about me overcoming the fear of being a leader. To me, being a leader is is a privilege to be able to lead a team and guide them and give them direction and nurture them. And so I have had opportunities throughout my career to step into leadership. And I had said no to those opportunities. And and a lot of that was because I was afraid I would not do it well. And I, I knew when I was ready to do that, I, I wanted to be really good at it and I wanted to do it well. And Early on in my career, when I was in my mid-20s, I just got handed a leadership role. I was an HR consultant at that company at the time, and my my director just came to me one day and said, I, I'm going to have you manage the payroll assistant and the admin assistant from here on out. They, they don't need to report to me. They can report to you. And I thought, I, I don't know anything <laughs> about leading people or managing people. Okay. Um, and and I think that that, that that happens to leaders in general is when you move into leadership, a lot of us are, are new and, and we don't have any guidance or training or direction on how to be a leader. And you, you have to really take that on yourself. So when the opportunity came about at HSHS and, and what's so great about, about the organization I work for right now is I've had a lot of opportunity to grow and learn in my career. And at the time when I was considering this role, this role came about, we had a new, our CHRO, he was new at the time and he came in and he was presenting to our HR team about the center of excellence model. He wanted to implement where he saw HR going in the future. And I thought, I'm really excited about that. I really want to be part of that. How do I, how do I become part of that with him and help him, uh, you know, meet those goals and he posted a position for, at that time, it was a system director of uh, talent acquisition and employee relations. And I was nervous about thinking about applying for it, but thought, you know, I, I feel ready for this. And I remember going to church that week and the, the pastor spoke a lot about fear and overcoming your fears and, you know, that God only has goodness for you. And, and he'll give you the strength. And I thought, oh, they're speaking to me, you know? Um, so that really helped. I, I applied, I was one of six internal candidates for that role. And I thought it's probably going to be a long shot. There's a lot of great talent here. And I was, I was selected. So uh, getting into that role, I've learned so much. I would say um, at first, I knew right when I got into that role, this is different. The expectation for me is very different than what it had been in my staff level positions. And 
I would say one of the best things I ever did was go to my CHRO and say, is it possible to get a coach or, you know, someone to kind of help, help me on this path? I want to do this really well. And at the time we didn't, we didn't automatically give executives coaches when they move into those roles. We actually do that now. And he said, yeah, he's very supportive of that. So that was, that was really helpful. And, um, about a year into that role, seeing the outcomes and, uh, you know, the things that I was able to accomplish and, um, the responsibility that I had, he actually evolved that role into a vice president role that it is today. So, um, again, I, I think as a leader, I've, I, I definitely overcame my fear, but I'm still learning every day as a leader and, it really is. You're, you're only as good as the team that you surround yourself with too. So, uh, and, and also I think just always remembering that you're, you're in it to, to help guide and support others uh, along with setting business strategy and, and making sure that you're, you're instrumental in, in implementing those things. But, but it's also about taking care of that team and, and nurturing them to also grow and, and, um, produce for the organization. So. Awesome. 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 I I love that. And you've obviously, um, you know, have overcame that fear and just been crushing it in your role, (laughs) you know, to, (laughs) to a year later be elevated to a vice president. That's, that's incredible. Um, Mm. and, and love your, uh, philosophy of like always, always learning. Cause I think once we, once we think we know it all, we very quickly get shown that we do not. Do <laughs> so, not. Do not. So, so having that, that open-mindedness. So we kind of, uh, you kind of hit on early and I love the story of your, your second grade teacher and <laughs> how, you know, if you, if you hone this in, well, you're going to be great. If you don't, like everyone's gonna hate you. <laughs> so like right. you've got you've got two like extremes, right? Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. you've obviously gone the the good route of that. Uh, what is your approach as a as a leader to building and developing relationships? I think in any relationship that you're building, you have to meet people where they are and you have to care about people. And in my experience, I've had to develop relationships with some individuals that weren't ready to have a relationship. Um, They maybe didn't think that HR was a partner to them or didn't like the service we were providing. And I had to kind of get through that to build that relationship. So I think it's, it's about showing them that you do care, that you can achieve those results. You will follow through. I think follow through is a big one. It's about communication and listening is part of communication. So hearing people, hearing how they feel, hearing what they're struggling with, and then trying to help see where you can help them you know, overcome those things. So I think that those are, those are probably the key things that come to mind for me when I think about that. I love it. I love it. And great minds think alike because you were, you immediately kind of dove into how you were able to overcome 
the struggle of building a relationship because I think it's, you know, and that was going to be my follow-up question because I think it's, it's so easy to talk about the philosophy of building a relationship and when it goes mm-hmm. great, it goes great. But some people don't want that, right? right. And ha- or, or you just struggle to connect with them or there's, there's not as much commonality, you know, it, to be able to kind of build that relationship off of. Or they, you know, as you said, don't see HR as a partner and you're just kind of the, you know, the, the fly in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to like overcome that to, to be able to, you know, build that relationship, I think is, is super, super, super um, helpful advice to share, share with the audience. Yeah. So yeah. relationships, Angela, I think, you know, especially um, within an organization, you know, start at the very front end. And it starts with the the candidate experience and kind of the recruitment process, bringing them into the organization. Um, and in your role, I know that you you have a lot to do with what <laughs> what that is. Um, yeah. So what are what are some of the steps that that uh, you and your organization have taken to be able to ensure a positive candidate experience? Yeah. You are Exactly right. It starts with that candidate before they ever decide they're going to work for you. It is really about building that brand and sharing that, you know, employer value proposition. What, what, what do we have to offer them that's above and beyond what the competitor could offer them? And people are searching for jobs. They're consumers you know, candidates are consumers and they're looking for jobs just like they're looking for a new car or they're going to buy a new product. There's so much out there for them to research and look at about your organization before they ever even decide they're going to apply for a job with you. So it's really important that your brand is positive and one that shows uh, support of your, you know, employees and that you um, you reward and you recognize and you value and you grow them. You know, you want those positive things out there so they will consider you. And so it really does start with that candidate experience and making sure that you're taking care of the candidates even before they ever decide that they want to even interview with you or or accept your offer on into their employee experience once you hire them. So some of the things that we do is really focus on that branding and really focus on that experience. We've, we've really in this market because it's so tough and I'm in healthcare. So, you know, you think nursing, you think lab, you think pharmacy, those clinical positions, those are, those are tough. Um, Some of those positions have been difficult to fill, but all of our positions have been very challenging. Our, you know, competitor landscape has changed significantly. We're not just competing against healthcare organizations anymore. We're competing against retail and, you know, IT and and other types of organizations, fast food, um, for example. So it really is about what we bring to the table that makes us different, that makes us stand out and has, you know, people wanting to choose us over over other opportunities that they have because there are so many now for people to choose from. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You wanna be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. 
a charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's... Um... It's just such a hot employee market right now. Um, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, just so many options, so many competitors and yes. the people who, you know, in organizations who are evolving in the way that they present themselves or, or the way they, you know, conduct their hiring process are the organizations that are having these shortages because, <laughs> you know, they're not yeah. being able to move with the times and like be adaptable to that. So I love to hear, you know, about the work that you, you all are doing to, to, um, you know, be able to combat that. Yeah. We're really trying to look at different ways to improve, to speed up that process. For example, we're piloting a direct hire process right now. And that's not for every job or for every department, but we do have uh, a couple of areas that are letting us do that, where we're really doing that, you know, deep dive intake with that leader. And then we're finding the, the candidates that we feel are best fit. And we're going ahead and making those offers and moving them forward. And then the leader is meeting them after we've made those offers to really speed up that process. So those types of things, trying to figure out how you can move faster. You know, I tell my team, like, if we're not first to offer, then we're last. So we, we, we need to be the first one to give them the offer and, and try to always give them the best offer um, that we can. And so, yeah, it's just always, always trying to keep up and think about, you know, what, what other kind of innovative ideas can you have? around, around this and, and getting talent. Right. And right now in healthcare, I know there's just, you know, a nationwide shortage. Every healthcare system is struggling with being able to, to find talent. So maybe this, uh, this next question is more focused towards, you know, the pre pandemic, uh, era (laughs) or, you know, other industries, not healthcare, but, you know, has just seen on, you know, on LinkedIn and on the news of, you know, companies that have been performing mass layoffs as they've overhired or other companies who are mass hiring as they've underhired and they're not, you know, they're not, um, you know, staffed properly. What advice would you share with our audience about knowing, uh, knowing when it is the right time to, to hire so that you don't run into either one of those extreme situations? Mm. That is a great question. And yes, we've, we did see that, you know, during the pandemic, we definitely saw even, even within our own organization having to do, you know, reductions. And so I think when you're thinking about when you need to hire, it's really looking at, you know, what are your volumes? What's your productivity? What, really evaluating what those needs are. I would say putting data together with it is important and evaluating that data to see what do I really need and when and what's the timing. And sometimes people, I've, I've, I worked at an organization years ago 
And we got into an overhire situation, placing bets on getting a new vendor, a new contractor that we thought were going to send us clients. And so we overhired and then that contract fell through. So then we were in a reduction situation. And so I think it's sometimes you have to do that. There are times when maybe you're looking at all of that data to say, okay, what's our turnover? What's our time to hire? What do we forecast? I think it's so important that leaders are forecasting what their needs are, what's coming in their spaces and, you know, strategically what's coming for the organization as far as, you know, are we going to build out new service lines or, you know, are we going to get into new markets and then what are our needs going to be? And then really laying out the timing of that, you know, when is it that you really need the labor to support those strategic priorities? So I think it's all about timing and, and really making sure you have your data in line to help guide you when, when you're making those decisions. Yeah. So a, a follow-up question I have on that, one, one thing I just wanted to kind of touch on is like you talked about, you know, a, a couple different times where the organizations you were a part of had to do reductions um, in staff. And I know that that's something that, you know, many, many people will, will probably come across at some point in their career. Either they're the person being uh, um, eliminated or they're the position being eliminated um, or they're the leader having to make that decision or they're the HR uh, person who, who's having to communicate that decision. Um, what, type of advi- what type of advice would you give to the audience who might you know, have to make that decision or communicate uh, that decision and, and how to communicate that to you know, affected employees? Mm. Well, when you're, when you're communicating that message, I think you always need to communicate it with compassion and, you know, it's important to help people understand the business decision around the conversation that you're having with them. And that that's hard because it's personal to them and it's personal when someone's losing their job. So those can be really tough conversations to have. When I've gone through reductions, the recent reduction we went through during COVID, I had to reduce, not only did I have to lead the reduction from the HR standpoint, but I also had to reduce people within my own team and have those conversations myself. So I was building a toolkit and training leaders and how to have the conversations and putting together the severance agreements, but then also having to prepare myself and, and det- determine within my own team who was going to end up being impacted. And those are difficult decisions, you know, when you have to really evaluate and you know that you need to, to cut back for financial reasons, um, for example, and you um, have to really look at a lot of different factors and make sure that you're making sound, equitable decisions in those cases. But having those conversations, they, if you go into them with compassion and caring and you empathize, you think about how you would want someone to have those conversations with you and you just treat people with respect, I think is, is ultimately the key to it. 
it's not not easy and people react very differently. Some people understand and some people get angry, for example, but it's, you know, managing those emotions, understanding going into it, there, there could be some emotion in it. But I think as long as you're treating people with respect, the conversation can go well, even when it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just being that like empathetic, um, Mm -hmm. you know, leader in that case and, um, you know, understanding the situation. So we, we, I think that's a a very difficult conversation to have. Um, one that's, you know, maybe less difficult, uh, to have is just, you know, your, your typical performance management conversation. Still not an easy thing. It's still not something we like to do, but it's definitely easier than that. Uh, you know, the, the layoff conversation, um, And and you had kind of talked about like how you, you know, you were really learning how to be a leader after being placed into leadership positions. So you didn't necessarily have like the formal training around, around these conversations. So Angela, Mm -hmm. could you share with us a, a time that you've botched a performance management conversation and what, what you were able to learn from that? Oh, yes. The one that comes to mind for me is uh, a situation where I had an employee working for me and he was so passionate about the role and really trying to do the very best that he could, but he just wasn't meeting expectations. He was missing deadlines. He wasn't timely with communication. I would get continuous complaints about no follow-up no completion of tasks, those things. And so I would have conversations with him. And this is where I feel like I, I botched the, this process, if you will, is I kept having those conversations, but it was like Groundhog Day. I would just keep having the same conversation over and over and I would get the same response. You know, oh, I, he, would take, he would take ownership. He would feel really bad about, you know, oh, I I didn't mean to, you know, let that person down. You're right. I wasn't timely with that. Oh, I missed that deadline again. You're right. I'm going to do better. And as a leader, I wanted, I wanted that for him. I, I saw his passion. I saw that his drive, he really did want it. I felt that. And I wanted him so badly to do well and to just kind of get it and, and do it and just meet deadlines and just, you know, follow through and, and, you know, do the, do those things. Okay. Let's do them. Now, when you leave the room after you say you're going to, let's do them. Um, But you know, that old saying, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink it. So I think as a leader, it's hard to remember that we can only do so much. We can have those conversations. We can provide training. We can give guidance. Um, But at the end of the day, we can't make people behave and perform ultimately. And I think where where I probably wasn't as effective in in this process with him is I think I let it go on too long being just more informal conversations and being so hopeful as a leader that like, okay, I think today he's going to leave the conversation and really do it. Now I think he's really going to start meeting deadlines and, 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 you know, call those people back, like he said, and he's really going to, he's really going to do it instead of probably earlier on 
after several of those being more formal and maybe setting those expectations earlier and, and maybe having some more consequence as part of that to really build more of a performance plan instead of kind of a lot of just the same conversations over and over again. So, but I think that, you know, as a leader, you, you want people to do well, especially when people seem like they want to do well, they, they want, they, you can see their passion and their drive and, and they seem willing and you want that for them. So that, that can be tough when ultimately it just doesn't ever come to fruition. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that like, as you, especially as a leader too, like you, you build, you build those relationships with your team, you see their passion and maybe see the parts of their work that the other stakeholders don't see, but that, you know, that's what's most important, but that gives you kind of that sense of like optimism uh, and that blind optimism of like, uh, this is, this is going to be the day where, (laughs) you know, we're (laughs) we're turning this bus around. Let's go. And uh, (laughs) you know, I like the, you know, um, I've definitely, you know, fallen victim to that uh, myself as well. So definitely an easy and relatable uh, thing to fall victim <laughs> of. And just a good reminder, um, you know, to to people as they're, you know, starting their leadership journeys, they're looking to get into leadership or, you know, they're well on their journey of like, you know, looking at the facts and leaving kind of the emotion out of it. Because yes. it's really easy to have that emotional piece. Like, you know, I, I really like this person. They have a great attitude. They really contribute to the culture. Um, they, you know, th- they're going to turn it around. Um, but then, you know, the results are, you know, what's important. I mean, obviously within reason, if things are going on, you want to be empathetic to what might be causing that. But if it's, you know, just the right. same conversation over and over again, uh, with no, you know, valid explanation as to why that's happening, um, you know, just leaving that piece out of it. I think that's definitely a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. So um, Angela, you know, we're seeing this transition in the, in the world, you know, of COVID and post COVID where um, a lot of teams and organizations are going fully, fully remote. And, um, you know, here at Spirit Consulting, we, we went fully remote at the start of the pandemic and actually have no plans of returning back to the office, which is so weird for me because all of my experience prior to this was working, you know, at a location with a team working with me. Um, And it's definitely been like a challenging experience in my leadership journey of like finding ways to like creatively engage staff, you know, remotely and how to build those relationships and, and how to manage, you know, performance and expectations, et cetera, um, you know, remotely. And I think it's a challenge that a lot of people are kind of, you know, um, you know, facing right now is like, how do we Mm -hmm. do this? (laughs) So what, what are some of the innovative ways that you are engaging your remote staff? Yeah. So we went fully remote for my talent acquisition team uh, as part of, you know, going through COVID. It wasn't something we really were able to do prior to that. So that was a new experience. And I would say what I've seen with my team is those that were with us before COVID and worked in an office and had relationships, 
as I've rounded with my team, what I'm hearing with the new our new team members versus those that have been with us is you can hear a difference from the new people who came in fully remote. So they kind of only know the people that trained them, that they've maybe been able to talk to more, and they don't really know uh, the whole team, whereas those that were working alongside each other in the office, and now they're remote, that's really a different experience. So that was really eye-opening for me is to remember where, where people are coming from. Some people have those relationships and foundational relationships already built that are carrying them to a kind of a different experience as a remote colleague, whereas coming into the, the organization, brand new remote, and you don't know anyone, you have to help as a leader to acclimate them to the organization, to meet people. You know, some of the things that uh, we've really tried to focus on is making sure that we're doing things to really get to know each other. So incorporating those into our staff meetings, different activities, fun things, you know, that make you smile or tell us about your name and how you got your name or anything that helps us really build and get to know people better on the team and adding in because they're mainly virtual, adding in virtual breakout sessions where they talk about something like that in smaller groups so they can get to know each other a little better and then, you know, come back out and into the larger group those virtual meetings, we've had fun celebrations like it, you know, in the holidays, we send out cocoa, hot cocoa kits. And we've had like a celebration with each other where we say, you know, make your hot cocoa or put coffee in it or tea, whatever you like, and bring that to the meeting. And, you know, we're going to have a celebration and uh, try to do fun things like that. I do also think that there is value in still trying to encourage people to come together in person periodically though, and have those touch points to continue to build those relationships. And for me, I do have people that live in, in a lot of our areas that, that kind of live around each other or they're close enough where we could drive in. So we do try to plan things like two times a year, we plan a learning day where we really ask people to try to be in person if they can to really see each other in person and have that relationship building opportunity. And also just try to like go to lunch with each other. If you live close to, you know, someone on the team, try to spend time going to lunch with them or get coffee or, you know, something like that so that you are building those relationships outside of just that virtual space. So, you know, there are a lot of, of different things that we are trying to do. And I think it's really, it's, you have to be intentional, I would say is, is the piece I would leave you with because I, it is, you have to remember to do those things. You can kind of forget like before I was really rounding and hearing the, the feedback, I didn't really recognize that the experience would be different for someone coming in new versus those that had already had those relationships, for example, or, or I guess how, how different that could be for some of them. And people have different preferences. There are some people that prefer to really be around people and work in an office environment and others love being remote. So that's been another unique experience for us, you know, finding people. Some people say, I've not really worked remote before. I'm not sure I'm going to like that. I'm not sure I'll try it, you know, and they need that interaction. 
so it's trying to cater to kind of all of those needs together to really help continue to build that cohesive team. So it takes a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of like uh, different ways of approaching things than maybe, you know, you mm -hmm. had in person. But I think it's, I, I love the ideas, you know, you shared of just like different activities, fun little icebreakers. Like, I think it's so easy to like jump into a meeting and be like, oh, we're here to discuss this. This is what we're discussing. But yes. like one of the things that we do at, at Spirit is we start all of our meetings with like a 15 minute segue. And so we might have 60 minutes scheduled. We spend the first 15 minutes, you know, um, you know, of our weekly meetings talking through like, what's the best business and personal news that you've had in the last couple, um, the last week since we've last talked, what's going on? What plans do you have this week? You know, how are things just like, you know, oh. stuff like that, or maybe it's like icebreakers, like, you know, a couple people get in the meeting early and they start talking about one thing. So other people jump in and we kind of make a conversation out of that. We just basically have slotted that 15 minutes at the start of each meeting to just be that relationship building time. I uh, love that. That's so, great. So that, that's a, that's a thing that we've done. And, you know, it's really, I think that it's just made the meeting so much more productive because once we get past that 15 minutes, now everyone knows it's business, right? But if you just yeah. jump straight into business, people are like, oh gosh, not this again. <laughs> you know? yeah. So like, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's just a, uh, a creative, uh, creative way there. Um, so Angela, um, you know, if, if someone was inspired by your, um, you know, your story today, um, kind of your leadership journey or any like pieces of advice that you shared, how can, uh, how can people reach out to you? Oh, well, they can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. So find me there. I would love to connect with you there. Uh, you can email me at it's Angela.Nguyen, that's N-G-U-Y-E-N at hshs.org or they could give me a call if they like to talk <laughs> on the phone. Um, that's 217-492-5826. But I'd love to hear from you, connect with you and network for sure. Awesome. 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 And we'll include all that in the show notes. So individuals have access uh, to that. I just want to say thank you so much, Angela, for being a guest on the Tips for Team Building podcast, where our mission is to inspire and propel others along in their leadership journeys. Really just enjoyed the opportunity to reconnect with you and be able to share your wisdom with our audience. And I look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Tips for Team Building podcast, where we propel others along in their leadership journeys. If you enjoyed the show, would you please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listened? You can also visit www.spiritmco.com to find out more about how Spirit Consulting inspires virtuous leadership. We'll see you next time.